0: Today is Thursday, October 6th, 2022, and today we're going to talk about the movie Maverick, as well as perspectives on hell, as well as a trial run for my last day at Chevron, at least for the foreseeable future. And we'll finish it all off with a brief discussion of Lindsey Graham threatening Elon Musk over remarks concerning Ukraine and Russia and electric vehicles. But first of all, let me mention and talk through watching Maverick. I watched the 1994 film starring Mel Gibson last night with our youngest son, Andrew. He is maybe not quite old enough to appreciate it yet, but he is a people watcher. He's a student of people, and it's a movie about somebody who's very observant, and he seemed to be very interested. Actually, I got him to sleep once, and then when he woke up again and we resumed the movie, he was very interested in it. But before he started fussing the first time, I was working on publishing the last two episodes of this podcast to the website, thegarrettashleymulletshow.com. And that became fairly impossible with one arm and one hand, not tied behind my back, but close enough, holding him. I was not going to be typing things with one hand. And so I put that off to the side, gave up on it for the time being. Lauren, my wife, was taking our four oldest sons to youth group. And so she was not able to take him. So I took him and the four youngest kids stayed with me while she ferried them back and forth and picked up groceries she'd ordered online. But we found ourselves watching this movie on Hulu, Maverick, and it struck me how much more charming and less trite it was compared with a lot of the films of recent years. Whether I've seen them myself or just heard negative reviews, So much else, having been hijacked by social justice and the woke scolds, ceases to be fun when it is so preachy. And to be sure, there were pieces of dialogue in Maverick here and there which you could say resemble certain elements that are objectionable in today's fair. For instance, there are comments about the Native Americans being stolen from the land that we're on, being stolen from them, and I can talk more about why I roll my eyes at that, but I do roll my eyes at that. To some extent, at least, there's an oversimplification. It's a little bit more complicated than just, we stole their land, or this is stolen land. Nevertheless, the references here and there to what you could say were woke elements were subtle and not heavy-handed and that makes them much more tolerable if for no other reason than that they don't seem bent on trying to destroy us the way that a lot of more recent fare definitely does it definitely feels like there's a concerted effort to destroy us and even if that was being flirted with in Maverick more or less, it didn't feel like an attempted rape the way that our current fair does. But even just consider the character of Maverick, Brett Maverick, is a cheat, yes, but he only cheats the cheaters or he only tricks the tricksters. He stays one step ahead of those who are unscrupulous so as to beat them at their own game. And I think this is fact embeds an affirmation of morality into the story instead of, again, in contrast to more recent fair, trying to prove to us that morality is itself immoral. If you believe that there is such a thing as right and wrong, you're the bad guy. Now, to be sure, Maverick is not moral in the sense that fine, upstanding Christian folk expect and demand men to be moral. But he is moral in a kind of Old Testament book of Judges sort of way. He brags about being a coward, for instance, and he is sexually loose. He is not saving it till marriage, if you will. But even when he brags about being a coward, then he goes and does the brave and upstanding thing, anyways, and he gives the money back to the women and children who are waylaid and robbed on their way to start a mission. The only folks he cheats are the ones who don't have any scruples. They don't have any morals. They've either just cheated or bullied someone, or they were just about to. They were in the process of doing it. And that makes Maverick noble in a way. And for that matter, if I dare go a step farther, it reminds me of what Jesus said about being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Maverick is observant. He watches and listens closely to gain the measure of those around him, not just looking for opportunities to be clever and shrewd and get an advantage. He's weighing and measuring souls. And to be clear, one can't be too careful in seeing this as some kind of a good example to follow. I'm not saying we should all pattern ourselves after Brett Maverick. There is a slippery slope. studying snakes, even if only at the outset to anticipate where they're going to strike and how venomous they can be. But my point is not to recommend that we all emulate the card shark here so much as to talk about Jacob and Esau and the kinds of men God has loved and established covenants with, as well as those he has hated and rejected. Think of the contempt with which Esau holds his birthright, that he would trade it, he would sell it for so little, for a bowl of soup, essentially. And then he's angry. He flies into a murderous rage when he finds out he's been tricked out of their father's blessing as well. Jacob, for his part, ends up getting tricked as well, getting lied to. And so he experiences a kind of justice at the hands of his future father-in-law when he works for him for seven years in exchange for his daughter's hand in marriage, and then gets the daughter that he didn't want, and then agrees to work for another seven years and gets the daughter that he did want. And there you have some complexity, you have messiness, you have some ugliness, And yet, God is in the midst of everything going on in the story of Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God, which some today would say is toxic masculinity. I don't think that's toxic masculinity. Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord, which I happen to suspect was Christ in the Old Testament. He wrestles with the angel of the Lord, and then refuses to tap out until he should get a blessing. And then he walks with a limp. And is that a blessing? Maybe that is a blessing. Maybe that gives him a bit more humility for the rest of his life. But his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, and God establishes a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. And it's not to say that everything he does is correct. It's not to say that everything his ancestors or his descendants did is correct. But it is to say we learn something about God in knowing, Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? Moving on. Perspectives on hell. Yesterday being an unusually slow day at work, not least because It was a Wednesday. Usually Wednesdays are busier. I had an extended conversation with a friend of mine where I work for just a little while longer who describes himself as a kind of universalist. And that is to say, there are different kinds of universalists, as it turns out. And while I'm thinking of it, I owe Rosie another apology who sits one office over from mine, and the walls are fairly thin, as she was on a conference call in the afternoon and had to come out and shush my friend and I since we were being far too loud discussing hell and theology. But it wasn't much use continuing the conversation when we couldn't be loud anymore or when I had to try very hard to divide my attention between saying what I meant to say and also saying it quietly. I do hope to pick up the topic again sometime with my friend and borrow a book from him, which he was telling me about, which talks about various theories or beliefs about hell in the Christian tradition, as well as telling something of the history of Christian doctrine regarding the hot place of judgment. But briefly, in the meantime, you should know that there are different perspectives on what to make of hell in the Bible There is not just the view with which you are doubtless familiar that hell is a place of eternal conscious torment for sinners who never place their faith and trust in Jesus the Messiah. No, some suppose those souls are simply annihilated and they cease to be in the afterlife. They stop existing because God just destroys them utterly and totally annihilates them totally. Still, others believe that hell is a kind of purgatory. And we should pay special attention to the root word in that concept of purgatory, especially its relationship to the idea of purging an impurity. In my friend's view, hell is a kind of refining fire. And like Miracle Max might say of Princess Buttercup's Dear Wesley, the damned are only mostly damned. Look at you who knows so much. Such were some of you, will be said to all on the other side of varying cook times, after which all the sin, vice, wickedness, and rebellion against King Jesus is burned away. Yet the same, if they didn't accept Jesus before the first death, get another chance at some point, to pledge allegiance to Christ and join the ranks of the heavenly host in paradise. Let me be clear, even as I outline, that that is a perspective some have. I am admittedly very troubled by that perspective. My friend, doubtless knows this from the look I was giving him when we talked about it. Uh, Unlike Brett Maverick, I'm not a particularly good bluffer. It takes a lot of concentration and effort for me to keep my opinions off my face when someone is telling or showing me their ideas and sentiments or when a situation is unfolding. But I will borrow the book he's offering me, which promises to expand, I think, on how the early church, prior to the domination of Rome by virtue of its wedding with imperial power, held to all three views just mentioned, in various quarters. Origen, for instance, early church father, is said to have held to a kind of universalism in eternity. Although, I would note, Origen also, according to Eusebius, misread Matthew 19.12 and concluded he should make himself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven. So, I take what he says about hell with a grain of salt. For that matter, I take any man who would castrate himself or ask someone else to with a grain of salt on everything else they hold to. But I will look into it for the sake of my friend who is not a eunuch so far as I know, and you will hear more about this subject in the future. In other news, yesterday was also the last day of my second-to-last hitch of seven days as a contract systems integrator for Chevron, and it does not embarrass me to admit that it was an emotional day for me. Some people already knew, since I had informed them last Friday on acceptance of the offer of employment made to me by Global Resources Design to go and be a controls programmer for them, but several other people did not know at all, including most everyone I had not personally told at the end of last week. Some very great compliments, congratulations, and expressions of grief touched me deeply and will make my final day of October 19th both sweeter and sadder. For instance, I take great pride in trying to constantly treat with respect And consideration, anyone who calls or emails me or asks anything whatsoever of me at work. And several comments were made noticing and appreciating that fact. I strive to produce the effect and result remarked on. And so it's exceedingly gratifying and validating to hear others say I was successful in that at a high level, and that they enjoyed both calling me when they needed something and also being in earshot when others called me. Besides that, at the risk of seeming like I'm tooting my own horn, one of the assistant foremen for the field automation technicians said in the weekly dispatch handover call yesterday that not much gets by Garrett when telling The others present about my having caught a mistake in a new device request form that was sent over to me in the morning and then completed over the course of the day. When I told them at the end of the call that I was leaving, if they didn't know, at the end of my next hitch, this same gentleman paid me a still greater compliment by saying he would need 10 minutes to cry after we adjourned our meeting. But all wished me well and told me whatever company I join next is gaining a great asset and is very fortunate. And this moved me almost to tears myself, embodying a strong work ethic and a reputation for honesty, attention to detail, and courtesy are long-standing goals, which have not always been noticed out loud everywhere I've worked, nor always apparently appreciated by everyone I have worked with. To return the compliment, without flattery, it is only with great reluctance and the overpowering inducements of current economic conditions that I leave this team here for another. But more on that to come for now. I want to turn my attention... To a piece of news from this morning about South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham sparring with Elon Musk on social media yesterday afternoon. So the backstory here, according to the Daily Wire, is that Elon Musk commented publicly that maybe some of these regions of the Ukraine should be allowed to decide whether they would like to join Russia. If that might bring an end to the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine, which is destabilizing not just the region, but the world, and puts us perilously close to World War III, if that option might make it possible to restabilize, if you will, well then, maybe it's worth a look. That is Musk's view And it's not necessarily my view. I don't agree with that for various reasons. And yet I am more offended by Lindsey Graham's response to Elon Musk than I am to what Elon Musk said, which I disagree with. So what did he say? I quote, it is very positive that somebody like Elon Musk is looking for a peaceful way out of this situation. Oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lindsey Graham didn't say that. Kremlin propagandist Dmitry Peskov said that. And I quote, compared to many professional diplomats, Musk is still searching for ways to achieve peace and achieving peace without fulfilling Russia's conditions is absolutely impossible. And do you know what I think of that? I, I think that's bollocks. I think that's Russia stubbornly insisting that Either it's going to get what it wants, or it will destroy the world. And that's unacceptable. That is not acceptable. But, what did Graham have to say? And I quote, actually, Lindsey Graham this time, Suggesting we end the Russian invasion by simply giving Russia parts of Ukraine after all the suffering is dumb, Graham said. In 1994, through the Budapest Memorandum, Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons arsenal, the third largest in the world, in return for assurances their territorial integrity would be protected. It was an agreement signed by Russia that included protecting Crimea and the Donbas as part of Ukraine. If you want peace in Ukraine, which we all do, simply demand Russian honor. boundaries they agreed to in 1994, and withdraw their forces. There's a bit of a typo there. I don't know if it's Lindsey Graham's or if it's the Daily Wires. I would assume Lindsey Graham's. He continues, to do otherwise is to legitimize a bait and switch by Russia and a signal to other bad actors to take what you want by force. If Elon Musk and others want the world to continue to be in chaos, then by all means capitulate to Putin and reward his aggression. While we're at it, maybe the Congress should revisit the electric vehicle tax credit boondoggle. It is where the credit is now solely benefiting electric vehicle manufacturers who have increased prices equal to the tax credit. It could be a good way to help save money by applying those funds to assisting Ukrainians in defending their homeland. Now, let me just stop right there. Let me just, I want to pick at this and pick it apart because... The fact of there being some things in what Lindsey Graham is saying, which I agree with, which I agree with a good portion of what he's saying. I agree with the logic of not rewarding this aggression. I agree with insisting that the Budapest Memorandum be honored. Nevertheless, it's a non sequitur and totally unrelated to imply a threat against Elon Musk's electric vehicle manufacturing. That's an ugly thing to do. It bears no relation whatsoever. Whatever he wants to say about saving money to help Ukrainians defending their homeland, whatever he wants to say, which we'll get to in a minute because it doesn't even fit, in Elon Musk's case, at least according to Elon Musk, but it's completely unrelated. And so what we have here is bullying by a United States senator, which they do, but it's not okay, bullying of a private citizen who is also the wealthiest man in the world and is also trying to buy Twitter to make it possible for conservatives to speak freely online. You're going to bully him into just shutting up about Ukraine and Russia by threatening tax credits for electric vehicles. It's an ugly look. It's a mean move. That's not particularly wise or helpful or appropriate. To be clear, I do not particularly like Lindsey Graham. I think he's two-faced and I think he is The kind of Republican that goes whichever way the wind blows. And I don't respect that. But even setting aside to the extent I can, not liking Lindsey Graham and liking Elon Musk, just looking at the nuts and bolts of this public statement, it's not a good look. This is not persuasive. It's not logical. It's not reasonable. This is not reasoned discourse. It wasn't necessary. You know, I'm thinking of my 15-year-old son who is currently taking an intro to literature class through Ames Community College and asking me for help in reviewing his writing before he submits it. So he brings it to me or sends it to me over email because he's working on it downstairs and I'm at my computer upstairs. He'll email it to me and then come up and stand over my shoulder as I'm reading through it and making suggestions here and there or commenting on various things. For instance, I think this could be two sentences, son, and it would be clearer. Or for instance, I think this is actually one sentence and you should remove the comma here or you should add a comma here. Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But one of the things I look out for when I'm editing a piece of writing, which my son Josiah is doing better than Lindsey Graham so far regarding, is if a sentence is thrown in that bears no relation at all to anything before or after it, it's a total non sequitur. It doesn't move the plot along, it doesn't connect to the ideas on either side. The rule of thumb is either do some more work to make it connect or eliminate it. Either do more work to make it clear why these things go together or cut it out because it's a distraction. The business here in Lindsey Graham's tweet about going after tax credits for electric vehicles is something that either needed to be expanded on Or I think much more likely it needed to be not said because it bears no relation. And also you're making Republicans right before an election look like bullies, uncritically affirm and support this war continuing to go on, or we're going to come after your business. Really? We're going to punish you. Uh, mm. No, thank you. Lindsey Graham. No, thank you. What would have been far better is to have just left it at the thrust of the argument, which was actually relevant. That is, if you reward this kind of behavior by Russia, we will get more of it, not just from Russia, but from everyone. And it will continue destabilizing. It will not make the world a safer place. See also the run-up to World War II. It will not make the world a safer place. It will make the world a more dangerous place. But to say on the one hand, we all want peace, but then to finish off with saying you want other bad actors to just take what they want, that's a bait and switch. That does not follow. It's not careful if that's not what's meant. But if that is what's meant, it's still not careful. It's not. If that's not what's meant, you should have been more careful in how you said what you really meant. If that's what you meant, you should have been more careful in thinking through what you... <laughs> meant to say, because what you actually mean is illogical and it does not proceed from the facts. You're rushing to ascribing bad motives, which is a logical fallacy, which is bad faith, which is a bad example. Again, ugly. But let's suppose Senator Graham had gone the other direction. Let's suppose instead of his removing the offending bit about Revisiting electric vehicle tax credits. Let's say he had added to that to where he explains more why that is a relevant thing to bring up, given the context of this discussion about peace in the Ukraine and how to get it and on what terms. Elon Musk's response to Graham, and I quote First of all, Tesla hasn't had that consumer tax credit for years. And we didn't ask for this one. GM and Ford did. Now, without my doing my research, presumably without you doing your research yet on the front end, if Elon Musk is right, if he's telling the truth there, Lindsey Graham has just really stepped in it publicly. And now he looks like a, not just a jerk. He looks like somebody who's not informed, who's not up to speed on the things he's weighing in on. He's the one who looks like he's being naive or ignorant or malicious. In order to pull off a convincing bluff, you have to have the cards every now and then. If you never have the cards, you will lose and lose badly every time you try to bluff. You just will. You have to occasionally actually have the cards and show them But once people start figuring out your bluff, it's over. And the bluff here was, you're going to keep quiet as we are promoting one particular solution, which I guess is just to keep on giving money and weapons to Ukraine and keep on sanctioning Russia ad infinitum indefinitely until they get wise and give up and tap out and cry uncle and all the rest. You're either going to support it or we're going to come after you economically. We're going to come after you with regards to taxes. We're going to come after you with regards to the fundamentals of your business model. That's ugly. And this is why I am an independent, but I vote Republican. Would I vote for Lindsey Graham? I don't know. I don't know if I would because this is just a jerk move. It's ugly. It's ugly. You show me a pro life Democrat who is not trying to trans the kids. Maybe someone with some fiscal sense, like Joe Manchin seems to have. You show him to me and he's running against <laughs> running against Lindsey Graham. I I might just vote for him. Show me an independent when Lindsey Graham is the option. <sighs> I don't know. I could be persuaded. But this is not a kind of Republican posturing that I can respect or appreciate. It's ugly. It's silly. It deserves to lose if that's as good as it's going to produce or show forth. Musk also explained, assuming you believe that the will of the people matters, we should in any given conflict region support the will of those who live there. Most of Ukraine unequivocally wants to be part of Ukraine, but some Eastern portions have Russian majorities and prefer Russia. Musk also responded to Graham making a slight threat at Tesla. And I've already read that to you, so I won't read it again, but deal in the substance. And again, I don't agree with Musk's take. I mean, let's, uh, (laughs) let's put that in our own context. And very easily, we can imagine scenarios in which border states here in the U.S. get flooded with migrants from Mexico, from South and Central America. And then if you put it to a vote, hey, should those states rejoin Mexico? Um, maybe, maybe they vote to stay a part of the United States, or maybe they vote to Maybe they vote to rejoin Mexico. But if we say, on the other hand, in the case of Ukraine, it's okay for Russia to use arms to come in and force a vote for people that speak Russian or think of themselves as Russian living in Ukraine, it's okay to force a vote. How do you know when you are getting an uncoerced vote and when? They're voting the way they're voting because they have a gun to their head and because they're just tired of the terrorism. That's not democracy, is it? What I'm really saying, what I'm really sure of, questions aside, is that that debate is a separate and distinct debate from the electric vehicles question. Do I think we should be giving tax credits to consumers who buy an electric vehicle just to have the electric vehicle manufacturers raise their prices by the exact amount of the tax credit? No, I don't. I think that's theft. I think that's fraud. If that's not fraud, if that's not cheating, well, then I don't know what is. So by all means, Lindsey Graham, do revisit the electric vehicle tax credit, but don't bring it up in this context. It has nothing to do with the debate that needs to be had about Russia and the Ukraine. You could have a spirited debate about Russia and the Ukraine. What's best to do right now to bring peace. If peace can be brought on the right terms. You can have a spirited debate. And you should. You absolutely should. But that debate. Getting all mixed up with electric vehicle manufacturing. And tax credits for buyers of EVs. That's dumb. I'm sorry. I mean no disrespect. But that is silly. So where are we at? I think a couple of things bear mentioning. One, Hitler did the same thing. And yes, I know Hitler gets brought up in every example. It's just a question of when every debate is going to go back to a Hitler analogy, but really, truly consider the lead up to World War II. Hitler's argument was the exact same. Ah, there are people who speak German in this country, and that country, and that country, and that country, and we need to reunify them with Germany, with the fatherland. He takes a little bit of territory. Oh, I just want this. World leaders fidget, shift in their seats, express concern, wring their hands. Oh, you really shouldn't do that, and uh, I, I wish you wouldn't. Hitler says, just this. That's all I want. All I want is this little bit. Well, okay. If you promise... Yes, I promise. Oh, wait, never mind. Never mind. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, I I need that territory as well because there's actually the premise of my first land grab applies to that land as well and that land and that land. What Putin wants is to resurrect the old Soviet Union, ultimately. And for that matter, whatever we say with regards to Putin and the Ukraine will logically teach China what it can do as well. And if we're not cool with China operating on the same premise, doing the same thing, we shouldn't be telling the world this is okay when Putin does it because we're tired now. Now, to Musk's point, yes, we should consider what the people in the Ukraine actually want. But... This is where it gets messy because America first, and I know, I know, I should have given a trigger warning on the front end before I just said that. Sorry, you're you're triggered. But then trigger warnings are also triggering, studies find. So I'd have to give a trigger warning for the trigger warning for the trigger warning for the trigger warning. And it's like, where does it stop, right? But if you look at the problem in the Ukraine as being somehow that an ally of the United States has been attacked, we had some big treaty where we promised we were going to defend them, then let's look at the treaty and let's ask some hard questions about what the treaty entailed as far as us keeping up our side of the bargain. If there is no treaty, it can be awful, it can be ugly, it can be unfortunate, it can be wrong. It can be contemptible, I can say, by all means, let's sanction Russia into kingdom come. Let's not do business with them. Let's kick them out. If you're going to act like this, get off my lawn. You're not welcome here. Sure. Presumably, presumably, unless we are sending our soldiers into the Ukraine to fight Russia, if we are sending weapons and the Ukrainians don't actually want to remain independent, they will just not use those weapons. And there's a kind of voting that goes on with their will to fight. If they are done fighting, and they don't want to fight anymore, well, what are we going to do? We're going to stop Ukraine from suing for peace, offering land for peace? I sure hope not. So there's a kind of democracy inherent to us saying, here are some supplies and some weapons, and if you want to keep fighting, we got your back to the extent that we can without risking nuclear war with Russia. There's a kind of democratic component to what we have been doing, whether Elon Musk recognizes it or not. Now, on the other hand, I think of a map that my cousin Brent sent to me the other day, this past week, I see on this map, Russia, and then in big letters underneath, not America. (laughs) Russia is not America. I see the Ukraine. And instead of being labeled Ukraine, it's just big letters that say also not America. And then quite a few European countries, a few Middle Eastern Mediterranean countries, Black Sea-adjacent countries say, not the USA, nope, also no, nope, not our concern, and also this is not, nope, nah, no, also no, also not, nope, no, no, still not, no, no, not here, no, and not America. The border with Russia and Ukraine, not our border, these are not our countries, and so to some extent, to a limited extent, not that I am an isolationist, I am not. But to some extent, this is not our fight. It's not our circus. It's not our monkeys. Unless we promised to have Ukraine's back. They give up nuclear weapons and give them to Russia in exchange for a pledge of neutrality from Russia and the U.S. Now, it gets messy if we violated that pledge of neutrality Or if Russia claims we violated that pledge of neutrality, but what did we actually promise to do? And are we keeping our word? That's my concern. Should we have promised to do a thing? And if we made a foolish vow, a hasty vow, are we held to it? Well, I would give you the example from the Old Testament. Consider Jephthah. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me, I will offer as a sacrifice. Sure enough, God gave Jephthah victory, not because he made that vow, but he gave the vow anyways. God gave the victory anyways. Leviticus 5, 4 through 6 is instructive starting from verse one, actually, if anyone sins and that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. So that is to say, you are sinning. You are sinning. If you are asked to testify and you know something and you keep silent about someone's guilt or innocence, Verse 2, if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him and he becomes unclean and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean and it is hidden from him and he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to Yahweh as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin. Now, it's interesting. More could be said on this, but it's interesting. What this passage does not say is that if he made a hasty oath, he should fulfill that oath. Jephthah ends up offering his daughter as a human sacrifice to God, which God expressly, explicitly tells Israel not to do. And yet Jephthah thinks his oath, his hasty, rash vow, carries more weight than God's command, God's prohibition, clearly he was not familiar with the law, or he didn't care, or he didn't care to be familiar. One of those three, he should not have kept that vow. He should have brought a sin offering, and the priest should have made atonement for him for his sin. So also in the Ukraine, if A hasty oath, a rash vow was made. Should we keep it? That's the kind of debate I want to hear. Not an oversimplification of democracy and not a non sequitur bullying of someone who is far more popular than Lindsey Graham. This reminds me of a small yippee dog barking, bark, 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 barking. Barking at a very large and powerful dog. And I don't mean that Elon Musk is going to try and destroy Lindsey Graham. But what I mean is, Lindsey Graham does not come out of this looking strong, smart, capable, savvy. He looks like a jerk. And quite frankly, he owes an apology. And if he doesn't want to apologize, well then. I think he's not a lot better than Jeff, Jephthah. Quite frankly, with regards to the Ukraine, I think we are in a pickle. And the pickle is not, first and foremost, that Russian and Ukrainian forces are still fighting back and forth. And it's not, first and foremost, that we're sanctioning Russia in a way that some would say escalates. It is not that we are giving weapons to the Ukrainians. The pickle that we are in is years and decades older. Than this current conflict. Relatively recently, the election of Joe Biden to the presidency, the giving of a slim majority to Democrats in the House and the Senate, that is the pickle because they clearly have no idea what they're doing or they're corrupt and they're actively selling America's interests out to the highest bidder. in in exchange for personal enrichment. Years of bribes they've been on the take for through their family. Might I also recommend you check out an excellent interview Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson is hit or miss. Sometimes I like him. Sometimes also he comes across as a confidence man. (laughs) But there's an excellent, excellent interview that Tucker Carlson does with a guy by the name of Tony Bobulinski. And I don't have the time right now to delve into that, to deep dive into that, but do check it out. An FBI that would actively suppress evidence and testimony of the rampant decades long corruption of Joe Biden and his family selling influence illegally and immorally, in an ungodly way, that we have an FBI, which did that in 2020, is why we are in the situation that we are in with the Ukraine and Russia. Change my mind. I'm going to sit at a table with a cup of coffee and a smile on my face, and you go ahead and try to change my mind. This is decades in the making. Decades. This is what comes of twisting this idea of the separation of church and state. So as to deprive the public of goodness, of virtue, of character, of morality, of ethics, of godliness, of the fear of God, we have deprived to the extent we have made and heeded calls to make private Christian faith in the U.S., The public good of not just America, but the world, the people of Ukraine, suffers today, right now, this instant, because that choice was made long ago. When we start unmaking that choice, revisiting that boondoggle, then I think we will be able to have meaningful debates about all the other issues that are downstream. In the meantime, it's chaos, and we know it's chaos, and that's why a lot of us just check out entirely. We don't want to pay attention to the news. We don't want to know what's going on in current events. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to know about it. We're the three monkeys with the hands over our eyes, our ears, our mouth, and yet, again, pay close attention to Leviticus 5. Not that we are under the law, but Jesus assures us He will tell the lawless to depart from him. He never knew them. Workers of iniquity. There is such a thing as iniquity in the new covenant. If anyone sins and that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. It's a sin. You're not just minding your own business. You're not Kermit the Frog with the iced tea, but that's none of my business. No, it is your business. You saw it, you owned it, and you still own it whether you're actively or passively allowing this thing to continue on. For that matter, Tony Bobolinsky, whose interview with Tucker Carlson, you should definitely check out. And I'd like to revisit more soon about that. He comes forward and that's a righteous decision to come forward and say, I have information. I have testimony, which is important for the American people to know. He comes to the FBI. They bury the story. They do nothing except run interference. And if you watch the interview, it certainly appears as though the FBI might have tipped off the Biden family that he had come in to speak with them because Joe Biden's brother gives him a call while he's sitting with the FBI. And the FBI agents go out of the room and Bobolinsky answers the call and there's silence on the other end. Boy, that seems like a threat, doesn't it? Seems like a pretty clear threat. And now we're all witnesses, certainly, to his giving the testimony. But what's the point of testimony if witnesses are dismissed, ignored? All evidence is dismissed and ignored. It doesn't matter. If that's where we're at, well, then, quite frankly, there's no point in our trying to keep Russia from taking Ukraine. There's no difference between us and them at all it's a half a dozen of one and six of the other. If that's where we're at, then what are we trying to stop China from taking over the world for? If we think we're better, that might just be the sign that we're even worse because we add self-righteousness, smugness, ignorance to our corruption. If they at least know they are corrupt, awful, rotten, amoral, they make no pretense to the contrary, they lie, but they Look themselves in the mirror and know that they're liars, it might be more tolerable on the day of judgment for them. I'm just saying. To leave you on a happier note, I think there is hope, not in men, not in princes, but in God. Trust in God. Do what's right, it will be noticed. Let your light so shine before all men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's a call to action, to work. Show me your faith without works, James says. I'll show you my faith by my works. Good works. Not works of the law whereby we are trying to justify ourselves. No, no. Placing all our trust in Christ, our Redeemer, for our Redeemer lives. We work as unto the Lord, not for men. And yet, as we work unto the Lord, we serve, we love, and we consider our neighbor. We are decent to him out of reverence for God because we will give an account to God for how we treat our neighbor. When you put it in those terms, knowing that God rewards those who fear him, he protects and preserves and works all to the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. When you know that, there's hope. There's a future. Put your trust in that and it will be well with the righteous. That's all the time I've got for this episode. I gotta run, as always. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.